Well, let's get right into it. Would you open God's precious holy word to the Revelation 11? Now, we're going back next Sunday to a regular schedule, but this, my group will continue to meet in here for a while uh, for several reasons, not the, not the least of which some of the children's ministries are going to need close access to the kitchen and we need to have space for people who need space. So we'll, we'll keep meeting in here for the time being for the foreseeable future, at least through the summer months. So you can keep that in mind. I've never seen, there are, there are some preachers with whom I mostly agree theologically and I enjoy listening to them, seeing them on YouTube, for example. And the, the only ones I really am interested in listening to are the ones, you know, who preach by exposition. They just go through a book of the Bible verse by verse. But in the last few months, I've never seen it where so many of these preachers who who have an eschatology like mine. They're premillennial, they're pre-tribulational. They believe in the rapture of the church, but they don't focus on that. They, they mention it when it is appropriate to be mentioned in a passage that they may be preaching on. But lately, so many of them seem to be talking about it so much. And I think one, one preacher that I listened to said it like I've always believed it, and it's this. There are no signs of the rapture. Stay with me on this. The rapture is something that happens imminently. It will happen. However, there are signs of the tribulation. Well, if the rapture occurs before the tribulation and you begin to see so much convergence of signs of things that are attendant to or in close proximity to the tribulation, then by reason, you say, well, we are headed headlong, apparently, into the time of the tribulation because everything is converging. Not just a thing here or a thing there, but I'm talking about the whole ball of wax here. Then you naturally would say, well, then we must be so close. And I, I've never heard, and these preachers that I focus on, they're not sensationalists. You know, they don't, they don't force an interpretation of things. They take the truth, the reality, the existence of a set of situations, and they lay it 
beside what the scriptures say. And the only conclusion one can have is, especially if he is someone who is learned in the scriptures and studies the doctrine of last things and, and uh, is, is aware of current events and, and so forth. Then, then one has to say, we just must be so close to the Lord coming for his church because we're seeing signs of how the tribulation could begin not too far from now. I'll give you an example. And I, um, I generally take all of my news online. I read it. I don't look at it as far as watching the videos and so forth. But I get the summary of news generally, mostly from foxnews.com. Uh, One American News. There's an article, UN, the, the, the article title was this, UN Chief Guterres, I think is how you pronounce it, UN Chief Guterres says that it is time for global governance because There is a disparity among nations and COVID-19 has revealed even more what a disparity there is. In the article, he went on, he went on to say that we have wealthy nations and we have impoverished nations and that the wealthy nations have an unfair advantage over the impoverished nations And they have a better chance of overcoming national crises such as COVID-19 where the impoverished nations don't have that opportunity at all. Uh, They can defend themselves against various things. Impoverished nations cannot. And so they are therefore at the mercy of the uh, more wealthy nations. This This was his premise all the way through. And that uh, there's an unfairness in dealing with national crises and problems in the world. And this will require global governance. Now, I, of course, thought about what the Bible says, and we're getting into the deeper part of the revelation here where we all know the Antichrist uh, becomes a global leader. We'll we'll see that uh, in the revelation. And when you consider all that this man said, and then he addressed the inequities that existed in the United States of America that have been revealed in the riots and uprisings 
Guterres. I don't know where this guy's from. He needs to go back home, sounds like. He didn't grow up here. He, you know, he's. But I'm thinking to myself, because what started here in riots and so forth, where people were, were claiming inequities and, and all, also spilled over into Europe and into Britain and Europe using the situation that, that ignited the riots over here. And so they're rioting in Europe <laughs> because people are rioting over here. I don't know. I mean, you go figure that out. And I thought of the, I thought of the first seal, which is the which is the revealing to me of the Antichrist, the one who comes with all of the answers of peace, settle people down. And then I thought of this man who in the UN said, uh, really the only answer for the world is global governance. And if he's a UN chief, what that says is, that says is put me in charge of the world. That's what it says. Then I thought, if a man of, so-called a man of peace came on that white horse and the first seal was broken, the second seal is, is war. You remember we studied this. And it starts with a common man's sword. So my guess is that someone seeks to impose the will of those who oversee global governance on the nations of the world, and that doesn't go over well to begin with, and thus the common man draws his sword, and it's man against man, and ethnic group against ethnic group, Christ said nation against nation, which carries on into the seals where the Armies then draw, you remember the, the distinction between the makara and the chromfea, the common man's dagger and the sword of the army, the military sword. So the makara has to submit to the chromfea. And then the Pestilence, death, disease, all that stuff, the economic problems where, where food is extraordinarily expensive. We studied when those, how those seals were broken. And it's an interesting thing to ponder how the world, see, these things are global. These, this pan, so-called pandemic, uh, unrest, riots, these, these, are on a, these are on a global scale now. These are, not just, uh, the, these are not just things that happen here or there. And for some reason, people who are supposed to be in charge are not in charge. I was in ROTC. <laughs> My knee kept me out of the army. I was in the throes of the Vietnam War and I was going to go in as an officer. And one of the things they'd say, if you're in charge, take charge. If you're in command, take command, you know. Uh, and we have 
people who are supposed to be in charge and they're not taking charge. And it's like delusion and confusion and they don't know what to do. And the world, once the church is removed, will collapse into total confusion and chaos until the Antichrist uh, begins to make his move with a strong arm. He's not the man of peace that he purports himself to be. And all of his answers to problems that seem to bring prosperity for a brief and peace for a brief period of time collapse. And that's all part of the wrath of God falling on the world. We've seen horrible things, unimaginable, not unspeakable because we can look at it, but they're unimaginable. A scale of, of, of human destruction of, of uh, destruction of earth itself never before known to man. Matter of fact, the Lord said it's going to be a time unlike you've ever seen when the wrath of God falls. Now we've come through six of the trumpets. So the seventh seal is broken And that gives way to seven trumpets being blown. We're in this respite here. We started in in chapter 10. And we go through verse 14 here tonight of chapter 11. Where there is this brief time. Between the last woe and the one that is to come. The sixth and the seventh trumpets. As far as things could be settled, they are a little bit settled right now. And there are things happening on planet Earth during this brief respite. Now, let me, let me be clear. Uh, sometimes... Sometimes in the, in the course of explaining or just generally talking or summarizing uh, the revelation, uh, I, 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 might say, I might say things that could be confused. But let me be clear here with regard to the preaching. As the seals were broken, you may remember uh, the 144,000 in the process of the seals. And then right after that, martyred saints, the next seal, they were all martyred. 144,000 start out early in the tribulation, preaching the gospel. 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. But then there are these two witnesses and they actually, really, they actually have their work in the last three and a half years. Uh, An important thing to think in mind, we're gonna see that here as we go along. And we're going to consider now that unlike previous times, in this part, in these 14 verses, we are on Jewish ground now. Let me tell you how the Bible describes the history of man, the passing of time from the time of the first Gentile power 
as he is recorded thus in Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar, and according to his statue, the dream that he had. Daniel is told that 77 year periods had been determined for his people, Israel. The 69 run one right after the other. And at the end of the 69th, the Messiah is cut off. He's murdered. And the Bible says in Daniel, and he receives nothing. In other words, he doesn't set up the kingdom at that point in time. There is an obvious, and it was a mystery, they couldn't have understood it in Old Testament days, but there is an obvious separation of the 69 sevens from the 70th seven. The first 69 have passed and ended with the death of Christ. There is yet one seven year period determined for Israel. That is the tribulation. The time of Jacob's trouble, the last three and a half years, is the great tribulation. It is specifically designated thus and seen to be described as the last half of those seven years. The promise to Israel in the New Testament is all Israel will be saved. We have seen in our trek through the Revelation that multitudes and multitudes of people have been saved out of every tribe, tongue, kindred, and nation. All of the people in the world from all of the nations and all of the languages, the gospel as it is preached in the 70th, seven-year period. And we can't really call these people Christians because I call them tribulation saints. Because the church is gone and the presentation of the gospel and the way that God works the gospel is just different. It, you can, it just feels it's different. Now, of course, grace is grace and salvation is salvation. But how God works it is in the hands of God and we can see just looking through the Bible that God sends the gospel and handles it in various ways to accomplish his will and purpose, which is namely to call his people to himself. Okay, that said, we're on Jewish ground here. These are the last three and a half years because the subject begins with the temple of God. The Bible teaches that there are five temples in the history of God's people Israel. The first one was Solomon's temple. The second one was Zerubbabel's temple. The third was Herod's temple. The fourth is the temple of the tribulation era. And the fifth one is the temple of the millennial kingdom. In the new heaven and the new earth, there is no temple. All of God's purpose 
for revealing sin, identifying sin, cleansing sin, and receiving worship from redeemed sinners, his purpose moves on into the next thing, and we're not told what it is in the new heaven and the new earth. But in the description, to contrast the description of the new heaven and the new earth, and the way it is presently, the way the New Jerusalem is, is shown presently, there is no temple. As a matter of fact, John will say in those final verses, and there was no temple in the city. There was no temple in it. Something that was significant to John, who was a Jew. Okay, now, remember this is the Father's gift to the Son that he would be manifested to his people and that who he is would be revealed. And this is part of that process. So let's start then with verse one. And a measuring rod like a staff was given to me. Okay, it's just a, a thing that they were, if it was me and it was in that day, somebody could say they gave me a yardstick. It was, a, it was an instrument of measuring that was commonly known to the people of the day. A measuring rod like a staff was given to me saying, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those worshiping in it. Let me stop there. By the time the middle of the tribulation comes, the Antichrist is in full power. In the middle of the tribulation, he breaks his covenant with Israel. Let me back up. One of the things that identifies the Antichrist is that he is able to establish a covenant with Israel for seven years. Now, how long have world leaders been trying to do something like that? Ever since there was a nation of Israel, I guess. And even today, you'll, if you listen to the news today, you'll probably hear something about, I think, uh, this week, July 1st or something, the the Israelis are supposed to take over some part that they haven't really officially been part of their land before. Anyway, it's still going on. It's not going to work. I can tell you that there won't be peace. It's not going to work until the Antichrist comes. And it will only work for three and a half years because the Antichrist will break his agreement. And he will move into Jerusalem and he will move into the temple and he will set himself up as God and that's the abomination of desolation. That's what that is. So by this time, he has broken, he has broken his agreement. Now I want you to imagine the Jews up to this point, now remember this last week, this last Shabbat, this last seven-year period is the final seven-year period for Israel that was designated back in the time of Daniel. This is the end of it. Here's the middle part of it. The Jews had literally just adored the Antichrist until now. 
They were still thinking for three and a half years that their salvation was dependent upon temple worship and all of these rituals. And it's amazing to me how God uses all of this to finally bring salvation to Israel. And we can begin to see that here. So John is told to measure the temple of God. Now let me go to the language here because the temple is naon. And that word specifically speaks of the holy place. Only priests could go there. So he's told to measure the holy place. Then he's told to measure the altar. This would be the brazen altar, not the altar of incense that we've seen in heaven's temple. This is different. He is describing the area where Israel worships because he says, and those worshiping in it. Those are the Jews. Those are Israel. And they have been crushed in their hearts by what the Antichrist has done. Their eyes are beginning to see that he is the abomination of desolation. And that if God could allow this to happen, then apparently their salvation is not as tied to the temple as they thought it was. But still God claims it because he has a purpose for it. And his purpose is with regard to those who are worshiping in it from the brazen altar to the Holy of Holies. Only Jews could worship there. And in the Holy of Holies only, well in the holy place only priests and in the Holy of Holies on the high priest, only the high priest. I read an article just this afternoon where the, the Orthodox Jews who are overseeing the temple project, they have said we can build the temple in one day. Think about that. It will take us one day to build the temple. Now, when the Antichrist establishes this covenant back over in Daniel, he will allow them to resume their sacrifices, their worship in the temple. And so this to them is it, but it's not. It is God bringing them, bringing them to the final point to where they will be saved by their Messiah and not by their temple. So God is saying, you know, really this is my possession, especially those who are worshiping in it. Now notice this, and leave out the courtyard outside of the temple. Don't measure it because it's been given up to the nations, the Gentiles. Here's the deal, I told you, couple of sessions back that grace and mercy had come to an end as we understand it with regard to the message being carried everywhere. That's over. God is saying here, I have, I have a covenant with Israel and I just don't have that same covenant with Gentiles. You see, we have the new covenant, but the new covenant has been fulfilled 
And Christ said, that's when I'm going to drink the cup with you. This is the new covenant. It's been fulfilled. The church has been taken out of the way. This is a different time. We are standing in Jewish time here. This is Jewish ground. This is different from the way we would call people to Christ today. Everything is different. It's the wrath of God. It is the covenant keeping God. And God finally extending irrevocable grace to Israel who have always resisted it. It was always works. It was always this temple stuff. But now they're helpless with it. God says, don't worry about the area where the Gentiles are. It's been given up to them and they will trample upon the holy city 42 months. That's three and a half years. And I will grant to my two witnesses and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. That's three and a half years. Two witnesses. Now some say it's Moses and Elijah. Some say it's Enoch and Elijah. It doesn't give me heartburn. I'm not worried about that. I know that there are going to be two witnesses and I I'm not surprised if God just raises them up from among those Jewish people, those Israelites in that day. The main thing is that he raises them up and he gives them power for three and a half years. And here is what I believe they're doing. Because they're in Jerusalem, we're going to see this as we go through this passage because they're in Jerusalem, the 144,000 were going around the world. But these two witnesses are focused in and around Jerusalem, Israel, the Jewish people. And they also, well, we'll get, I'll talk about them when we get to it. And lo and behold, we're to it. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the Lord of the earth. Now that language is also seen back in Zechariah. Uh, Joshua and Zerubbabel. And the picture is given of them because God, they didn't deserve it. The, the, pre, the high priest, Joshua, he, he had on wrinkled, nasty, stained, high priestly clothing that didn't matter. God said, take that off of him and give him a clean one. I'm telling you, do this. He's the one I've chosen for this particular work. So those two, back in Zechariah, they're raised up. And those two have a specific work and they are called the two olive trees. Now, the, the picture is given of a menorah, which is representative of Israel. It's the, it's the light that comes to Israel. And above it is a golden bowl. That thing connects to olive trees so that the flow of oil is, is it never ceases. And that oil flows down and it continues to empower that light for Israel. Now that was the Old Testament description. Well, the same principle and power comes forward now into the, tribula into the great tribulation and God declares, 
These are two olive trees, two lampstands standing before the Lord of the earth. I have empowered them to bring light to Israel. That's to me, that's what it's saying. And if anyone should desire to harm them, fire goes out of their mouths and devours their enemies. <laughs> and if anyone should desire to harm them, same word. Thus it is necessary for him to be killed. Now in the language, it is thus in that way necessary for him to be killed. So it, what it says is, however they try to kill these guys, whoever tries to do it is killed that way. You're up here on a rooftop and you think I'm going to Use my high-powered rifle, and I'm going to pop those two guys right in the head. And before he can pull the trigger, that guy is shot right in the head. What, however they intend to kill those guys, that's how they're killed. These, the two witnesses, have the power to shut the sky so that no rain shall fall in the days of their prophecy. That's why some people think Elijah is one of them. They have power over the waters to turn them into the blood, into blood, to strike the earth with every plague as often as they might desire. That's why some people think Moses is one of them. But here's what's happening. With the blowing of the seventh trumpet, seven bowls of wrath are going to fall. Each bowl of wrath brings a distinct, horrible judgment. Now, these guys have the book of the Revelation with them. All they have to do is read the book. And they start preaching. Repent. This is what is about to happen. The judgment of God is going to come next in this form. Well, the Bible says with regard to the earth dwellers, they would not repent. But we're going to see here that that's not true of Israel. So they are able to bring plagues to the world and the world hates the messengers because of their message. And they're trying to kill them, but they can't be killed until their work is complete. And when they shall have completed their testimony, the beast coming up out of the abyss will make war with them and will overcome them and will kill them. And their bodies will be upon the street of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. West Jerusalem. So the Antichrist energized by Satan is permitted within the will of God to kill the two witnesses. Now here is the response of the world. And those of the peoples and tribes and tongues and nations gaze upon their bodies three and a half days and they will not allow their bodies to be put into a tomb. They're mocking them and making fun of them. And those dwelling on the earth rejoice over them 
and make merry and will send gifts to one another. Because these two prophets have tormented those dwelling upon the earth. So it's like Christmas time. All of the earth dwellers are happy that they're dead and they're just, their bodies are swelling and, and, and they're put on display in Jerusalem. While the world exchanges gifts, exchanges gifts and praises the name of the Antichrist, the only one who was finally able to come and shut these guys up because they think if they can shut those guys up, the torments will stop. Well, after the three and a half days, the spirit of life from God entered into them and they stood up on their feet. And great fear fell upon those beholding them. And they heard a great voice out of heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in the cloud, and their enemies beheld them. And in that hour there was a great earthquake. A tenth of the city fell, and 7,000 names of men. Now, that I just literally translated, but it means men of names or men of renown. So the Antichrist comes and, and to come and congratulate the Antichrist, all of, the, all of his appointed governors and, and prime ministers and whoever from all over the world, these 7,000, they come and they're having a big time in Jerusalem and they all get killed in the earthquake. And the rest became terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Now to me, because it says the rest, to me, that is separated from peoples and tribes and tongues and nations. And to me, they gave, this is different from not, from not repenting. They gave glory to the God of heaven. So this is, to me, this is the work of God bringing salvation to Israel. Now, there are a lot of things that happen. Because if you study Zechariah, the Jews who are in the city of Jerusalem are being pursued by the forces of the Antichrist. They go door to door. They're ravaging the women and killing all the people, the men, the women, the children. And the people are screaming and praying. And they are exclaiming. And they repent because now their temple has failed them. And they are now hearing the gospel with open ears. The gospel of the 144,000. The gospel of the angel in midheaven. The gospel of the two witnesses. And at last... To me, they're the ones who give glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Well, we'll stop there. Let's pray. Father, we are overwhelmed. When we read of how your wrath will fall on this world. We look around and we take note 
it seems like we see signs of the coming tribulation in our day. And so many of us have the growing sensitivity that we're soon to be caught up out of this world. God, Lord Jesus, come for us. Finally, when your wrath has been completed, your kingdom come and your will be done. In Christ's name, amen.